make sure you take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you might end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. I'll see you soon. <laughs>
The Halofiend sought to spiritually topple those who detracted his hollow-eyed stare. Only then would he kill each sufferer. Pain pliancy made eternities of weeping instances as ingenuity rippled through his fingertips, through his bony knees and elbows, through the Halofiend's very teeth. His inner adolescent, that undead perpetual adoptee he permitted to fester for decades, shrouded in hope and resentment, danced to slaughterous rhythms and fed, fed, fed. Already his muscles ached with the accumulations of preparations accomplished. In those efforts, due to time constraints, mind you, of course, he'd been aided. From midnight to morn's dawning, his six helpers and he, all dressed identically, had paid visits to the owners of the names on the Halloween's list. Acquaintances of his intended, gifts for her to unwrap later. Those unfortunate ones had struggled, writhing in comfy beds, chloroform rags on their faces, finding no pity in orange skull countenances, they'd gone nighty-night. Wrapped in blood-streaked carpets, the abductees had endured transport, spiraling, crumbling, bumpily-bumbling routes of unconsciousness. When next they came to, diminished capacities had claimed them with crude lobotomies, having sliced away segments of their brains. Chained to metal crosses in the Halofiend's cornfield, they found themselves dressed in scarecrow costumery to give his special lady a fright come nightfall. And when the night blossomed, unfurling its chilled tendrils to a soundtrack of snarling incubi and wailing specters, the madman would head out into the shifting shadowscape to claim her. Parking a couple of suburban streets distant from his special lady's cozy bungalow, he would hop fence after fence to reach her back entrance, to invite her to his abode, the house of eternal October. With a rag on her face, no refusals accepted, and oh, how they'd play. Until the coming of All Saints Day. His special helpers, not invited, would have to find their own fun. Already, scant minutes before sunrise, as a token of his infatuation, the Halloween had left a present on the woman's porch. The corpse of her friendly, corpulent mailman decapitated and exsanguinated, wearing a jack-o'-lantern atop his neck stump. Lolling in a wicker rocking chair, the corpse had seemed a holiday decoration until closer scrutiny. The very moment that the woman fled inside to call the cops, to make her doubt her own senses, the Halloween had removed that body. Later, if everything went as planned post-abduction, the fabulous femme would awaken pressed against it in the claustrophobic confines of an ebon coffin in the house of eternal October. With hours of interim time stretched before him, the Halloween desired an activity, non-strenuous, to occupy his attention. Too keyed up to read, 
too twitchy to knit, he turned his focus wallward, seeking answers in the empty eye sockets of the myriad latex masks. It read there as decoration, the lagoon beast, the cartoonish dream babe, and the ventriloquist's dummy offered no inspiration. Neither did the begrimed mummy, the anthropomorphized canine, or the square-jawed superhero. Only when the Halloween's gaze reached a goofily grinning visage of a sugary cereal monster's mascot did he arrive at the obvious solution. The television, of course. Surely one channel or another will be airing something seasonally appropriate. Seizing a remote control from under his seat, the Halloween brought his television sliding down from a hidden ceiling alcove. No less than 60 inches of ultra-high-definition materializing like magic. When victims were present, the killer, of course, kept the set out of sight so as not to contaminate the spooky bleak atmosphere he so carefully cultivated with unfiltered pop culture. When alone, however, he was only human. Channel surfing. The Halloween clicked upon then past newscasts and talk shows, commercials and chef competitions, vibrant sporting events and animal documentaries. Reclining into his day-glow orange sweatsuit, shallowly respiring through a skull mask of the same shade, he at last grunted, Well, this looks promising. Beholden to cartoon logic, a Victorian mansion loomed atop a hill, decaying in isolation, overlooking streets of well-kept pine clapboard houses. Behind the mansion's highest unbroken window, a wizened old spinster stared out from her lonely turret bitterly, with a battered pair of binoculars pressed to her face, and cobwebs draped from the shoulders of her simple blue frock. On the lower streets, a treat parade had commenced with falsetto shouts and friendly bellows, youthful splendor, seemingly immortal. Into the old lady's view marched queen, hobo, poltergeist, ninja, ballerina, daffodil, and killer whale, lugging pillowcases and plastic pumpkins that grew heavier with each house visited. And as they entered their cognizance, to better spite their blissful shamming, the spinster recited their Christian names. There goes Tabitha, she said, and Eddie, and Baxley, and Imogen, and Sebastian, and Grant, and bratty little Alice. Rampaging sweet-toothed a lot of them, and here I sit all alone. Twilight darkened to void black, fog rolled into veil all but the full moon, still... The long-toothed old dame maintained a bitter vigil, though not a singular trick-or-treater ascended the hill to pay her home a visit. She complained and she wailed, pleaded with empty air and hollered threats. At one point, she claimed that she'd hurl her own self through the window to perish as a shatter-boned heap if life didn't provide her some companionship. Someone to while away her golden years with. Alone she remained, as the trick-or-treaters concluded their treks and headed off toward their respective homes to overindulge in candy feasting. Time-lapse terminating the cartoon's October, birthing a cheery, vibrant November morn. 
birds trilled in the trees, glutted with earthy worms. Exiting into open air, riding wafts of flapjack steam, seven ordinary children converged mid-street. Shielded from the elements by their scarves, beanies, and sweaters, they marched in formation up the hill. Turning the knob to the mansion's front entrance, they entered without knocking. Eunice, where are you? They queried, clearly worried, peeking into room after room, confronting only ornate furniture entombed in dusty plastic, and baseboards laden with mouse holes denoted by tiny excrements. Eunice, answer us! Where can you be? Finally, they surged into the old woman's turret and there inside with utmost relief. In the very same wicker seat that she'd spied from now slept the old biddy, with a line of bubbling spittle trickling its way down her chin. The youths pinched and shook her, snapping their fingers. They hollowed in Eunice's ears, finally, moaning, smacking her lips, Shifting, discomforted, the lady emerged from her slumber, goggling at seven young faces, each of which stared at her, wide-eyed with childish solemnity. The woman gripped her elbows and summoned forth speech. Why? It's Imogen and Grant and Eddie and Tabitha. We all came, declared the little blonde fellow, bending to plant a kiss upon the dame's cheek. She reached for him, but he'd already backed away. But, but, where are your costumes? You are all having so much fun. I watched you through my window. Oh, Eunice, a brunette girl then scolded. You're always so silly, so ridiculous. Halloween ended, so we took our costumes off. It's time for you to take yours off too. We saved you some candy. A bashful, chubby, raven-haired boy muttered, barely meeting her eyes. Returning his gaze to the stained carpet, he added, I can't believe you stayed here all night. Nobody has ever, ever, ever taken on that dare. This abandoned mansion is just so darn creepy. And lo, the old woman rose, and with a theatrical sort of flourish, seized her grey tresses and tugged her wrinkled countenance from her skull and was young again. In fact, she was the identical twin of she who'd masqueraded as a ballerina the night prior. Mama's angry with you, that girl giggled. Shut your stupid mouth, brat. The program cut to its final exterior shot. Eight children ran down the hill as if death itself were chasing them. It might seem, if not for their rambunctious mirth as the credits arrived. Annoyed. The hollow fiend shifted in his chair. He stroked his mask's five orange vertebrae. Bit of sniveling angst and it's over? Thought. Where's the terror? The bloodshed. The stomach-turning hankerings of fanged monsters. Is the season going soft on me? Should I start scribing scripts? Hefting his remote control up, the hollow fiend thumb-pressed a button. Expecting a powered-off television, he gasped, as it seemed he'd only changed the channel. Live-action spectacle had succeeded the animated mawkishness. A pallid, roly-poly figure cavorted across the screen, his overcoat an eerie shade of purple, his top hat's vibrancy, built of colors that, though frozen in silk, yet seemed to be flowing. 
Between his pair of skulls, the Halloween's human face now grinned. Can it be? He wondered, elated, ripple wallowing in the warm, fuzzy throes of nostalgia. When letters built of artfully posed, roped together cadavers slid into and out of the screen, spelling out, Happy Halloween. He was sure of it. Those corpses, nostrils, and ear canals were overstuffed with candy corn. Their broken-jawed mouths and gouged-out eye sockets dribbled pumpkin seeds, and a liquid that might have been blood were it a darker shade of red. The screen went dark for a moment. Power tools sounded, begging segway to bleating, to shrieking, to fading burbles. The Halloween found himself gripping his knees on the edge of his seat. Radiance returned to the screen, though it now arrived through a haze of theatrical green-tinted fog. Again, corpse letters met the Halloween's sight through their message now read, No God Can See Us. The skull bounties had shifted too, with squirm-wriggling maggots having supplanted the candy corn and beetles having superseded the pumpkin seeds. Off and on again, the light went. Now each corpse wore a purple overcoat and psychedelic top hat, paying homage to the series' star. Wider and wider stretched their broken jaws. They began, in fact, to bend backwards, permitting the emergence from the greasy, grimy depths of those purposefully posed casualties of shadowy arms flexing taloned fingers. When those fingers snapped, all light again fled. Into the ebon void sepulchre that then lingered upon the screen, a pronouncement arrived, cluttered seepage from nether space, borne upon a voice that resounded in strains of Lugosi, of Price, of Karloff, of Lee. Word for word, in twinned tempo, the Halofiend recited the invocation right along with the announcer. On October's last evening, a season's very skeleton might be glimpsed through its flesh. Beyond indifference and fad costumes, true monsters sculpt the wind. And on that note, a festering welcome, both to our spectral visitors and their blissfully oblivious hauntees, to the diabolical designs of Professor Pandora's special once or twice in a lifetime Halloween episode. Are you arriving or leaving? Are you at all? The darkness abated to unveil the strangest of orchards, threaded arms, shaded with black putrefaction infused midnight. Oh, so realistic they seemed, embedded with light bulb and camera lens fruit, linking creatives in Couchbound, Pandora and Halloween. Pumpkin fire infernos erupted at the apexes of ebon candles within the hollows of carved pumpkins, orange totems whose jagged grins were they prone to discourse, might have described invisible chains linking past, future, and present binding every soul in hollow triumph, in electric feigned agony, in resignation, in abandonment to decay. When I'm dead and gone, thought the hollow fiend, whether via failing physiology, unforeseeable accident, exhausted suicide, or lucky victim, 
Let it be a witch that sweeps up my cremation, so that my ashes might accompany her broom flights for long centuries. His mind was wandering. From the opposite side of their communion, Professor Pandora tapped the televisions in a screen, demanding that the Halloween pay better attention. True artists abhor indifference and disdain, after all. The Halloween knew that. He would do better. Just twice in a lifetime, he mused. Fortunately, I possess idyllic memory and never have forgotten, never will forget, all the charm of this cheaply made magnum opus. Replaying what he'd missed in his mind, he watched intestines spill forth from open abdomens into a cauldron, as a slowly perishing obese couple cooked themselves into a cannibal's feast. As he danced around those unfortunates, his demeanor most impish, Professor Pandora promised the slow suicides that their very worst dreams were returning to escort them to nether space. Eyes wide with agonized disbelief, flecks waxen from blood loss, the sacrifices grinned and nodded. When the commercials arrived, they too were vintage offerings, Ghost of recollected Octobers, residuum of cherished youth, aging vampires sunk their fangs into cans of diet soda, declaiming, better than blood even. Black and white zombies shot for bifocals, a serial sweepstakes offered a date with the decades dead horror actress. When the feature presentation returned, the Halloween grinned yet wider, dressed in crude homemade costumes, Patchwork something or others that obscured birth and genders, cresting on sugar rushes. Trick-or-treaters arrived to the tracked home that Professor Pandora had selected for his special evening. Soon, he'd be ladling homeowner's stew into the kids' candy bags. Oh, how the Halloween giggled in anticipation. Trick-or-treaters had inspired his relocation to rural isolation, after all. When one's victim arrives to their house, it's too easy, he decided. The thrill of the hunt unravels when one simply seizes the unmonitored from one's doorstep. One grows lazy. In lieu of fulfilled expectation, however, the hollow fiend instead found astoundment. This isn't how I remember it, was his realization, watching the trick-or-treaters knock and knock only to retreat disappointed. Returning, those kids hurled eggs and carved pumpkins against Professor Pandora's borrowed house, but not a one was so unfortunate as to glimpse the star's mad visage. Segwaying into its next segment, the presentation revealed two oldsters in a shared horse costume. Cringing at threats uncackled, the pair retreated, throats intact, and exited the screen prior to more commercials. A sick prank, thought the Hello Fiend. Or perhaps censorship has proven more insidious than I believed. Again, he raised the remote and attempted to power off the TV. Again, he only changed the channel. A pair of toy poodles dressed as Peter Pan and Tinkerbell fawned at the feet of a camera-shy faux firefighter. Yeesh groaned the Halloween, carefully watching his thumb as it met the remote. 
This time, he successfully powered off his television, back up into its ceiling alcove it went, punishment for having displeased him. Cherished childhood memory butchered, thought the killer. The cruelest of tricks to make tonight's treats all the sweeter. The sound of shattering glass diminished his optimism. The house of eternal October had attracted a vandal. Leaping from his chair, the Halloween hurried to meet them. Having painted his home's every window midnight black to maintain an inner atmosphere of perpetual gloom, the Halloween expected ice-coating sunlight to assault him, streaming through the shattered pane. Instead, to his astonishment, the Halloween beheld a firmament-shaded purple, orange, and red in the grips of eerie twilights. How did time slip away from me, he wondered. When last I checked, it was still afternoon. I better slit the vandal's throats with due haste, then go collect my guest of honor, lest all my careful preparations go to waste. The window breaker possessed cunning, it seemed. Lesser eyes than the Halloweens would have sighted only dirt in cornfield, sweeping their gaze across the mise-en-scene. The Halloween, however, in his single-minded devotion to victimization, hurled his scrutiny from tassel to tassel, tugged it down leaves, husks, ears, and stalks, damn near traced root trajectories. Is that a snake I see slithering, he wondered, squinting into the gloaming? No. Indeed, it's the end of a chain, impossible as it seems, One of my scarecrows has escaped from its cross. Perhaps I should have used handcuffs. The Halloween's rusty, lethal scythe rested aside the doorframe. Flexively, he seized the tool as he hastened outside. Adrenaline sped the blood in his veins, threaded his well-aged muscles with vitality. Though he hadn't envisioned the pursuit, the Halloween lived for such moments when he felt as if he might inhale death's carnal bouquet and exhale pumpkin fire and others dread grew tangible. Onto the wraparound porch he searched, then down its six steps, into a maze maze that stretched endlessly in the unreality of a feverish thoughtscape. He cast himself wholly, unleashing a howl of zoophagous implication. The tinkling chain up ahead the rustling of leaves, rudely brushed aside by predator, prey, and scythe, the droning of cicadas, the rhythmic respiration, all combined in the twilight oral galvanization. Though only corn plants did he see, not a singular doubt existed in the Halloween's mind that he'd soon be scythe slicing the escapee's Achilles tendons and then driving his curved blade into the scarecrow's abdomen again and again before leaving them to bleed out in the cornfield. Who escaped their pole anyway, he wondered. My intended's next-door neighbor? A bestest friend? Her intermittent boy toy? A yoga instructor? Are the four conscious of their new statuses as lobotomized background actors or ghosts haunting their own physicalities, remnants of vague purpose? His dogged pursuit carried him further, then further from the House of Eternal October, 
deeper into the non-ejaculatory orgasm of insanity unbound hunting. The inside of his mask attained a familiar humidity, as if between skulls, his face was sheathed in a graveyard dew, warming towards evaporation. In the grand thrill of it all, the tunnel vision of bloodlust briefly nullified his sense of direction. Ergo, the Hallow Fiend was genuinely shocked, though only for a mere moment, to find himself emerging from the maze rolls into a clearing he knew well. The very same site, in fact, where he'd erected four brain-damaged scarecrows upon steel crosses. Every scarecrow had escaped, dragging their chains along with them. Had he purchased defective links? Had one of his helpers betrayed him? Irate that the Hallowfiend wanted intimacy with his special lady and they'd missed the main event. Maybe Professor Pandora escaped my television to play a trick on me, the killer thought, breathing deeply. A 360-degree appraisal revealed no signs of the escapees, save for feet indentations into the soil that seemed to lead in all directions. No longer could the Hallow Fiend hear the chain tingling. Doubts danced at the edge of his consciousness. In the dimming light that remained, he cited incongruity. His plants were infected with corn smut of a bizarre purple shade. Corn kernels gone tumoresque, thought the Hello Fiend. Perhaps I'll taste some tomorrow. Instinctively reorienting his sense of direction, he pondered the intentions of the mentally crippled. Would they flee down the dirt road? And every one of its miles in search of altruistic community? Would they simply lie down and perish? Had his brain surgery erased their senses of self-preservation, every iota of their personalities? Would they seek revenge in the cornfield, or might they actually return to the House of Eternal October, the site of their lessening voluntarily? Had the shattered window been isolated, brutish spite, or the opening salvo in a battle that would test his wits? Generally, on All Hallows' Eves, the Hallowfiend's slaughter games closely corresponded with what he'd envisioned beforehand, as if his victims and he weren't acting independently at all, but inhabiting roles they'd memorized, ergo. The deviations his reality had sprouted made the killer wonder if he were dreaming. Or perhaps had died in his sleep and entered into an afterlife of eternal frustration. Shaking such magrims from his skull, wondering whether a banshee whale would attract scarecrows or repel them, he was reassured by a sound most familiar. Inarticulate rage. At least one of them remains enough of themselves to realize they'd been violated, thought the Hallow Fiend. Slipping through the maze rose in pursuit, the blade of his scythe hanging over his shoulder, a lunar crescent. So thinking, he was tackled, hurled sideways by a collision that bent maze plants beneath him, crippling their stalks irreparably. From the weight pinning him prone, 
and the force of the fist striking the back of his head, bestrewing his soil-obscured vision with short-lived sarbasts, the Hallowfiend estimated that his assaulter was none other than his intended's next-door neighbor, a poorly balding widower who believed that his perpetual geniality disguised glistening lust for the lady. In vain, the Hallowfiend reached for his dropped sickle, with only the tip of his right middle finger brushing against it. For the very first time in his lifespan, he felt not a predator, but a helpless, battered nothing. The enchantment inherent in every October, that which had sustained him every year of his life, had made jack-o'-lanterns of moons and fashioned the gruesomely butchered into fine hearts, threatening to abate for the first time in memory. His personality was slipping. His traitorous lips were on the verge of pleading for the Hallowfiend's life. A master is slipping through shadows of hiding in crowded closets, of wearing dayglow orange in costumed crowds. And now blending in, felt the stirrings of panic and made a conscious decision. No, I won't play the victim, now or ever. Better that I die bludgeoned by an imbecile than marinate in my own fear. His resolve thusly fortified, he reached behind his head and caught the scarecrow's fist as he plummeted. Using the scarecrow's own weight against him, he hurled the man forward into a headfirst tumble that unbeknownst to the Hallowfiend caused the scarecrow to bite clear through the tip of his tongue, then swallow it. Crimson blotch, nearly black in the ebbing sundown radiance, spread across the burlap sack that covered the man's noggin. Lickety split, the killer was standing, scythe in hand. Far slower, the scarecrow climbed to his feet and lumbered forward, hands out thrust, opening, closing, prelude to grasping. Hefting his weapon over his shoulder, the Halloween exhaled, then swung downward. Between the scarecrow's open palms, the blade passed, parting clothing and flesh, traveling from chest to navel, spilling innards to the soil. Upon a steaming pile of his own intestines, the corpse toppled, offering a soft, squelching sound in lieu of last words. One down, three to go, thought the Hallow Fiend. Sure. The crosses were a bad idea, but perhaps I'll make use of a quartet of corpses before the night's finished. Hardly distinguishable from the wind-rustled leaves, a whimpering then met the Hallowfiend's ears. Trailing it, the killer encountered a slim, undoubtedly feminine scarecrow is intended's yoga instructor. Rocking from her heels to her toes, tugging her mask down by its eye holes so as to be temporarily blinded. She moved her free fist as if to punch her own temple again and again, as if such an action might reboot her intelligence. <laughs> Always she stopped short of impact. Sweet Jolly Jane, oh, She's perfect, thought the Hallowfiend, recognizing the broken soul resignation he sought to inspire in every victim. If 
only I had enough time for proper torture. Through one well-toned supple breast, he pushed his curved blade. Gracefully, the scarecrow died, doing a sort of ballerina's plie that carried her to a rump, then into a reclining eternal repose. To left, thought the hallow fiend, my intended's best friend and her boy toy. Where or where might they be? Open-eared, the killer listened. Wide-eyed, he searched the soil for telltale indentations, tracks that he might follow. Frustration, for all that his senses revealed, he might as well have been alone in the cornfield. Pitch-black night was impending. Soon, it required a flashlight. The corn smut is all pervasive, he realized, wondering. Strange that it should appear all at once, so close to the harvest. I certainly noticed nothing awry at dawn while erecting the crosses. Minutes escaped him. Night swallowed the scenery. Dispirited, the Halloween decided to make his way homeward, where battery spawned radiance was attainable. Perhaps I should abandon my search altogether, he thought, to collect my intended before the night's over. Surely, in their condition, the scarecrows won't be escaping my property anytime soon. I'll call my helpers in the morning and we'll find them together. So thinking, he nearly tripped over the missing pair. Over the course of prior days while stalking his intended, wearing his insipid, ordinary human guise, the hello fiend had observed her at lunch with her bestie and sometime lover. Wise to human nature, he detected a surreptitious sort of flirting between the latter two when his intended wasn't watching them. Clandestine glances, lingering touches. Ergo, the killer shouldn't have been surprised to find the pair succumbing to a sad sort of romance, writhing upon the soil in a tight embrace they dry-humped, fully costumed, the Halloween learned with one wandering hand. Both at once, thought the killer, fortunate indeed, lifting his sight overhead and driving it down with every ounce of strength he possessed. The Halloween drove his blade through the female's back into her ersatz paramour, grunting and moaning, falling suborial, then silent, they still. There's still time, the Halloween realized. I'll drag the corpse quartet to my house and leave them dismembered on the porch so that my intended might discover them. It was touch and go for a while there, but it seems that this night shall be salvaged. Grabbing the female by the ankle, he began to drag her betwixt maze rows, absentmindedly humming along with the unseen droning cicadas. He grinned beneath his orange skull mask. Unbeknownst to the Halloween, however, certain mentally crippled toy boy wasn't quite dead. Unsteadily, that scarecrow climbed to his feet. Heroically, as his life sipped away through his slit abdomen and stars went black overhead, the staggering fellow put every last bit of his vitality into a final grand gesture. 
Lacing his fingers together, he swung both hands like a baseball bat into the Hello Fiend's head, his last living act. Blasted unconscious, the Hello Fiend toppled beneath his assaulter. Again, his eyes opened, the killer found himself sandwiched between corpses in the luster of a flourishing dawn. His entire body ached, his noggin especially, both within and without. Halloween's over, he realized, by intended yet lives unscathed. What an eye-opener this has been, he thought, sitting, then standing. No longer shall I go it alone when committing Baroque murders. If I'd had somebody watching the scarecrows, this could have all been avoided. From now on, I'll include my helpers every step of the way, from planning to climax, he resolved. I'm not as young as I used to be, after all. Can't be everywhere at once. The Hallow Fiend reached a decision. I'll chop the scarecrows into bits and leave them in the clearing along with that jack-o'-lantern-headed mailman. I'll dig a pit for them first so that they can be buried underneath the masks of future victims. Before that, however, I'll draw myself a bath. Trudging back to his residence, the House of Eternal October, the Hallowfiend shook his masked head in dazed exasperation. All of his meticulous planning, yet his intended still breathed. Sure, I could invade her bungalow at any time and abduct her for quick murder, he thought, as I'll undoubtedly do with the others soon enough. But that'll seem so anticlimactic after all of my fantasizing. Well, there's always next Halloween. He whispered to an indifferent dawn. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast Halloween Special 2021, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Bloodletting and Intrigue on All Hallows' Eve was written by Jeremy Thompson, who is the indie horror fictionist whose mind and fingers united to birth the Phantom Cabinet, Let's Destroy Investutech, Silent Minority, The Land of Broken Sky, Toby Chalmers Commits Career Suicide, Toby Chalmers Hits a New Low, 
and the forever big top. His stories have appeared in magazines and anthologies such as Year's Best Hardcore Horror Volumes 2 and 4, Into the Darkness Volume 1, Dark Fuse, Journal of Experimental Fiction, Young Mag, This Book Ain't Nothing to Fuck With, and Brutality, and has been collected in Sweet Chuckling Morbidity and The Fetus and Other Stories. A San Diego State University graduate, Jeremy resides in Oceanside, California. This episode was performed by James Barnett. He is a fiction writer, voiceover artist, and podcast producer from Australia. Head to jamesbarnettcreative.com to access writing and other voiceover work from James. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. The Night's End Halloween theme was composed by Duncan Muggleton. For more from Duncan, head to twitter.com forward slash Duncan Muggleton. To support The Night's End, I'd very much appreciate it if you could leave a review and a five-star rating on your podcasting app. It helps us more than you know. We have merch available at nightsendpodcast.com. Or if you're looking for more content, please check out seasons one and two, which are available now. We also have 10 exclusive episodes available through our Patreon page or through our Apple podcast subscription, Dissonance Extra. All links are in the description. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our final tale tomorrow. And as always, stay horrific, everyone.